it's not the ends of the influencer. Because to me, the reason why influencer marketing works is because it's dirt cheap compared to all traditional advertising. So now during this time, people aren't even, people are doing everything by influencers. I'm like, you think the power of influencers is lessened? It's like people are literally learning how to cook, working out, learning new skills, learning how to date, learning everything by influencers. It is there on their phone 24 seven, watching and engaging with influencers right now. Welcome back to NYC Local Guides. I am your host, Jennifer O'Brien, and I interview New Yorkers from creatives to CEOs and everyone in between. For more NYC resources like ebooks and videos, visit nyclocalguides.com. If you've ever wondered what it takes to be a New Yorker or just want to hear some crazy stories, keep listening. This is a Brooklyn bound two express train. The next stop is. Jeremy Jacobowitz is a talented, food-loving creator and video host who shares his brunch from around the world. He was born in Brooklyn and now lives in Williamsburg. He has a Monday Night Wrestling Wars podcast and loves Japan. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So let's dive right into it. I also am curious, why is your name Brunch Boys? So the original sort of, I mean, this started over six years ago now. So six years ago, there weren't food Instagrams, there weren't influencers, wasn't any of that stuff. I was working in TV as a food producer and I was just like, oh, I just want something to do between gigs. It was always freelance, freelance, job to job. So I had this idea. I was like, oh, I'll make this online show. Oh, it will be me and my buddy. Oh, it'll be cute. It'll be brunch. Okay. Oh, brunch boy. That's a fun name. Like there's no other thought put into it other than it's going to be this weird digital show. But then that sort of went away very quickly and it sort of morphed into not necessarily what you see now, but at least more of like an Instagram account sort of thing. But the name just stuck. And I don't know, it's just, it sounds much better than Brunch Boy. So it, it worked out. <laughs> I like it. No, and alliteration, the two Bs, it makes sense. And so do you consider yourself a New Yorker? Yes, I've never lived anywhere else. So I think I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me, how do you define a New Yorker? I think it's a mindset and an energy and an attitude and a little bit of time. I don't know what the number of years is going to be before you consider yourself a New Yorker. But I definitely think you have to think, once you start thinking like a New Yorker, you're a New Yorker. Ooh, so like, tell me more. So thinking like, in what way? I mean, I just think about what it takes to survive in New York. Like you have to have ambition. You have to have drive. You have to want to just go a million miles an hour. You have to know how to walk down the streets. You have to know how to order a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> It's multifaceted, what yes. it means. And so, are there any stereotypes when people first come here or ask, oh, you're a New Yorker, and they think, oh, are you, you know, this, that, and that? What are the stereotypes that are right and wrong that other people tell you? I mean, I think people think like, oh, New Yorkers are rude or mean, and I don't think that. I just think they're more direct. I just think they're not going to lie to you. And I think you come to appreciate that if you spend time here, that we're not going to, you know, get around what we want to say. We're just going to tell you. And to me, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But if you're not used to it, I guess you could think it's a bad thing at first. Yeah. No, well said. And so what was it like growing up here and going to school in the city? Right. Yeah. Well, so I was born in Brooklyn at Park Slope, but then I moved to Westchester when I was six. So I grew up in the suburbs outside of New York City. And then I came back for when I went to NYU and I started at NYU in uh, 05. Cool. Which really even even in 05 is a completely different place than it is now, especially like NYU. Like I remember 
I lived on campus all four years. Like when I say lived on campus, like it's it's in their dorms. So obviously it's like there's no real NYU campus. It's sort of all over. But I remember yeah. my like sophomore and junior year, like people started to move out. Like I'd have friends that were like go to Avenue A or like go to Williamsburg. And people would be like, Ugh, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing that. And this is only, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was, a little over 10 years ago. So it, it, it's funny just how much the city changes over and over and over again. Yeah. So I remember looking at when I was looking at colleges, I looked at NYU and I didn't like that the campus was all over the place. So what was it like going to like courses and things? One's uptown. Sometimes I've heard that you have like 10 minutes to get there and it, you just, it's not possible. I don't know about that. I mean, I always say like, I didn't go to college. Like I took classes at NYU is the best way to put it. If you want a college experience, I wouldn't suggest going to NYU, but I really didn't want a college experience. I really had no interest in that at all. <laughs> I just wanted to be in New York City and work and and do whatever. And that's sort of the way I treated it. So I treated it as I'm living in New York City, I'm working, I have internships, and I'm happy to take classes at NYU. I mean, in terms of getting around, I honestly didn't think it's that hard. I mean, most of the classes honestly are around Washington Square Park for the most part. Um, and then I had some classes midtown or whatever, nothing that far. And you obviously have the subways, which are amazing. You can walk, they have free NYU buses. And at the end of the day, you sort of schedule your own classes. So you would never schedule for it to be hard for you to get around. Okay, gotcha. That's helpful to know. Uh, what did you study in your first jobs? Did that you know lean into French Boys? I know you used to do video. So tell me more about that. Yeah, no, not really at all. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I studied sports management. So uh, you go in and you don't really have a concentration, but you sort of figure it out along the way. So I ended up with a marketing degree at the end of the day. But a few years in, I decided I, I really liked TV and I just started interning in sports TV. I never really took any classes at NYU for film or anything. That's not my background, education-wise at least. But I interned for like SMI, which is Mets Network. I ended up field producing for WCBS while I was still in college uh, in their sports division. So I just got all my skills just by doing it and working, which I sort of like. Uh, I mean, in terms of job jobs, like I worked at Circuit City, like I sold TVs. So in some ways, it connects, but not really. Everything I've ever done, I've either I've learned by myself, I've learned on the job or do what I do now, which is just like watching YouTube videos and stuff. That's awesome. No, I, you have such great video quality. And I think, you know, it definitely shows that you've practiced and really learned so much through doing. So, well, I mean, I think what was nice is, and listen, I was, I worked in TV for a decade, whether yeah. I was physically shooting or physically doing anything, but at least like as a producer, you have to have the mind for it. You have to have the eye for it. You have to know what you're doing on some level, whether you, you don't necessarily have to physically be able to do that, but you have to tell the people what to do. So I would have a vision for what I wanted this scene to be and other people make it happen. So at least like I had that there. I just have to teach myself the technical skills, how to do that myself. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And um, what is your favorite New York City neighborhood? Hmm. I mean, I've been living in Williamsburg now for three years. I really do love it. But maybe like even East Village, I love just bars and food and people, energy vibe. I, I really like that. Definitely. And do you have any favorite hidden gems here in the city? Hmm. Hidden gems. Yeah, actually, I do. There's a place that just opened up near me last year, which is amazing. And you walk by, I don't even know how much a hidden gem anymore because they've been written up a lot. But you still don't hear it too, and you'll talk about it. Uh, it's called Saqib. It's uh, S-A-K-I-B. And you walk by, and it looks just like a like a dumpy little place. Like, what is this hole in a wall? But it's amazing. It's like Syrian and Jordan food. And they've sort of just made it look like a shithole, honestly. Like, the sign's halfway on. It only opens up last year. 
I definitely like, it's need been to go. Written up in the Times, written up in Eater. Everyone has had glowing reviews about it. And I order in from there at least once a week. But every time I bring it up, people still don't seem to know what it is. So it's sort of a hidden gem still, even Ooh. if it's been written up by the Times. And what kind of food is it? It's Syrian and Jordan food. Oh, so yeah. very much Middle Eastern. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds really good. And so I'm going to ask you more food questions in a second, but more about New York. Do you have any New York City apartment horror stories? Yeah, I mean, more just looking than living. I mean, I ended up, my first like real apartment out when I graduated, I lived with my friends and this is pretty typical. Like it was a studio. When she moved in, they converted it into a one bedroom. When I moved in, we converted it into a two bedroom. So you can imagine just how small that space was. But my favorite story is actually how uh, when I was looking for apartments, I looked at this apartment. It was like Avenue B, Avenue C, something. And I walk in and they were like, so, you know, you would have the whole basement. Like, that's pretty cool. They're like, you have a whole backyard. I'm like, oh, that's, that's even cool. Like, it would be my own private backyard, a huge space, blah, blah. So the basement was, you walk into the living room and there's like a, a little spiral staircase that goes downstairs, like literally a hole in the floor that goes to your bedroom. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's weird. But like, you don't really, you're not going to have a door. You know what I mean? Like, that's odd. And I was like, all right. And I was like, oh God, if you're like drunk and fall down steps, I'm like, oh, that's, that's not so great. But then I had the best question. I'm like, how do you move in? How do you get a mattress down a like two foot circle in the middle of the floor mm-hmm. and they're like oh well so like all the houses on this block or buildings on this block had like a backyard behind it they're like oh yes yeah. so the last thing he did was he had a ladder and he went up and down up and down tossing all of his stuff over every single backyard and fence to move in i was like this is too stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny i've never heard of that wow <laughs> that didn't that's not worth it <laughs> Okay. Nope. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, I like that. It's like a, a unique like angle. Of, I didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite places for walks and views in New York? So I used to live in Midtown, right by the park. So I used to run in Central Park every single day. And there's nothing better, especially sort of as you get more north and it is very, very quiet. It's a great run. You're sort of like in this oasis in the middle of New York City. Like people don't even realize because who just like goes walks around Central Park. But I made that run every single day. And you could honestly easily just get lost there. Um, now that I live in Williamsburg, I live right by Domino Park, which is really nice to be right on the water. But I'll, I'll run over the bridge. I'll run up the East River a little bit. I'll run back down. And it's about six miles. So that's been my go-to now. Yeah, I love the new Domino Park area and the Taco Chino. Every, you know, it's got <laughs> a, lo- a lot of good stuff and just people hanging out. Um, we need to, well, when this is all over, go hang out there soon. <laughs> um, yes, so, very yes. good margaritas also. Ooh, I have had their margaritas. It's very good. (laughs) And so do you think New York City is good for creatives and creating your own path? Oh, absolutely. Because you have to. I mean, it's hard in that you can't like live for free. It's not dirt cheap. So it's hard for creatives that way, I guess. But I always say like, I think the energy makes you creative. I think if I was in a place that didn't have this energy, I I wouldn't be as creative. And it's just like, it's just a feeling and it's a competitiveness and it's a drive. So going back to what I think makes a New Yorker, I think like, You just have to have all those things because you're just not going to succeed without them. So it's good and bad. But overall, for me personally, at least, I think like I couldn't do it without living in New York. You totally predicted my next question, which is, do you think you'd be as successful if you lived anywhere else? In terms of what I do, it could only be L.A. But L.A. is way too relaxed pretty much for me. But I mean, I obviously like there's a big, uh, you know, entertainment scene, film and television and digital, whatever out there. At the end of the day, yes. 
but I, I don't think it would be the same. Yes, I totally agree. Interesting. Very good answer. Okay, so I normally do a lightning round, and I've customized this as a special lightning round just about food. So, you know, tell me what are the first things that pop into your mind? Are a food expert, you know, all the best places. So I'm going to try to grill you on some of your favorites. First, I'm curious, what is your favorite food? Sushi. Okay, <laughs> great. I love it. And you also have to tell me more later, or actually, why don't we do it right now? Why are you so obsessed with Japan? Well, you know, I went for the first time last year, but it's something that always sort of meant a lot to me. Uh, obviously, the food I love is, is my favorite. But just especially once I went there, the people, the experience. Also, like when I travel, I like going to cities. Like I'm not a person to go sit at a beach and do nothing. That will drive me crazy. So I love that. Like, I mean, I've traveled a lot of places. Obviously, I've lived in New York forever. I've never felt overwhelmed in a city because I've lived in New York for so long. Like I was overwhelmed by Tokyo at how big it was, how the energy, the people, I was blown away by that. And for me to be blown away by that, I was very impressed. So just the people were amazing. The city was amazing. The food was amazing. Like the care and attention to detail that they put to everything is incredible. Like I always give the example of like, you know, every day there we went to the convenience stores and we ate food. And in America, you think convenience stores, you think like super shitty, but in Japan, it's complete opposite. On every single street, there's like five convenience stores because there's like a, a lot of meat. There's like Lawson's and Family Mart, 7-Eleven and more and more, but they're all competing with each other. So you're going to go there and you're going to get an egg salad sandwich, tuna sandwich, the things I ate every single day. In America, the there's no respect for that food. There's no respect by the person that made it. It's just, here's a stupid sandwich. You're going to eat it because it's cheap. But that's not the approach people have in Japan towards anything. So, okay, maybe this is quote unquote cheap food and it's going to cost you a dollar, $52 and it's quick and easy and it's at a convenience store. But the same amount of care and detail is going to be put into that dish. That would be a $200 dish or whatever it is. And I think like just the respect they have for everything on that level is, is really, is really incredible. And the country is beautiful. So I just loved it. I knew I would love it and I loved it even more. And I just, I, I feel it in me. That's beautiful. Uh. Great answer. Okay. So you're in Williamsburg as well. What are your three favorite brunch places? In Williamsburg? Yeah. Sunday in Brooklyn is incredible. Yes. Um, One of my favorites. 12 Chairs is great. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Llama Inn. Yes. That's a great one. Um, and then what are your three favorite places in all of New York City for pizza? Joe's Pizza, number one. I really liked... You can sort of couple these together. Yeah. I will say that they're different because I know that they're different, but everyone wants to compare them. And to me, it's just depending on location, wherever you want to go. But Print Street Pizza or Made in Europe Pizza, obviously, they're like very similar squares. I mean, they, they both have normal slices, but you don't go there for normal slices. So mm-hmm. go there for like the, um, you know, square spicy roni. And then if you want to go like old school, old school, make the journey out to Defaro's. It's worth it. I know there's one in Williamsburg yeah. in the food hall. I've not been there because I think like, the experience of Tafara is getting there and hoping that the old man is there making you pizza and making you wait two hours. I think like you just, and that oven, like you can't duplicate it in Williamsburg. I'm sure it's good in Williamsburg because honestly, even bad pizza is good. But the thing is like, you have to realize Tafara has been open for, I don't even know, 70 years, whatever the hell it's been. That oven that they cooked the pizza in was actually a pizza oven in Italy. So the oven that they use has been cooking pizza for a hundred years. Like you can't ever replicate that food and that flavor somewhere else, even if you use the same ingredients and the same recipe, just because oven's different. So I think you go take the truck out there, go wait and go eat at the Faro's. Worth it. Thank you. And then what are your thoughts on dollar pizza? Great. Like I said, there's no bad pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that like 
there's probably a Joe's close enough and go spend $2.50 for a way better slice. <laughs> but you know, if that's what you want, it's close to you, great. If you're willing to go an extra 10 minutes, which you should be, go to Joe's. Yep, yep. And then three favorite burgers. Uh, burgers is hard. I'm actually looking for a new one. I, I always think like when I think of like my favorite burger, I want like more classic, just simple. That one I'm looking for right now. But in general, I mean, Emmy Square's burger is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like a normal burger, but like, fuck, it's good. Gato has a great burger that's only on the brunch menu. And I mean, Black Tap is always my favorite. I haven't had Black Tap in a while, but Black Tap is always my favorite. And that, again, is just simple potato bun. Amazing. Oh, so good. So good. I love potato buns. Three favorite Japanese restaurants. See, it's funny. I don't even like people ask me all the time, like, what's the best uh, omakase in New York City? Like, I don't eat good omakase in New York City because that's such a treat. I save it for when I travel. So we're going to eliminate sort of that level of Japanese stuff immediately. But I order in from Kanahashi every single week. It's just like a, I like I call it a dumpy sushi place. I don't even think it's that dumpy, but it's just like a, a New York City sushi place. You know, they're in Greenpoint. They deliver to me. I love it. Basu is really amazing. It's like Japanese, almost Jewish fused comfort food. That's in East Village. So it's all Japanese like ingredients and flavors and dishes, but like with a little Jewish flair, which I enjoy. And then, you know, I really did love going to um, uh, the Japan Village that they opened up. I haven't hit up all the stalls there yet, and I do not remember the names of them, but there's one where I got onigiri and it was really good. Ooh, awesome. And then three favorite Chinese restaurants. So when I lived in Midtown, I lived above Joe Shanghai. I don't even think it's called Joe Shanghai anymore. I don't know. I think they like redid it and changed. I, I can't figure out what's going on with them. But the one in Midtown was amazing. But there are, there's a location in Queens, location Chinatown. So you can go there. The best soup dumplings. I love it there. It's a very special place in my heart because of that. Han Dynasty is great. I was very lucky. They opened up a location in the um, food hall in downtown Brooklyn, uh, whatever it's called. So they actually delivered to me in Williamsburg, which is great. And then recently, I've been ordering in a lot of uh, Birds of Feather, which more just dim sum style, but really good. Yeah, so good. And then three favorite Italian restaurants. The best Italian food in New York City is Emilio's Bellato. It is on Houston, like, I guess Soho is what you'd call the area, but it's literally on Houston. Been open a million years. Chef Anthony is amazing. Complete old school. It's like what Little Italy really should be, but isn't anymore. Go to Emilio's Bellato. For more like new school, Don Angie just absolutely kills it. And quality Italian crushes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such great options. And then three favorite bagel spots. So I'll start out with the one that's not a New York City bagel, which is Black Seed Bagel. I knew you were so going to say that. Your, <laughs> if you're coming to New York City and you want a bagel, don't go to Black Seed because I think you should have a real New York City bagel. But if you have a million bagels like I do and you want a little something different, Black Seed is more like a fusion between New York City and Montreal. So like the smaller... They're way tastier. Um, the ingredients that they use at uh, Black Seed is also incredible. So get that. Yeah, it's Other a little that, bit sweeter. I would say, uh, Thompson Square Bagels and Pick a Bagel are more like traditional New York City bagels. So like really big and crunchy on the outside and super soft on the inside and loaded up and both fantastic. Awesome. Great options. Thank you so much. And so now I, you know, we'll transition into unless you have any other food recommendations that we missed, anything else? And could be, could be anything. Exactly. I know. I was like, <laughs> there's so many questions I could ask, but I don't want to like overwhelm. So now talking a little bit more about what's going on right now in New York City and everything, how have you seen 
Instagram change and, and what are your thoughts on basically what your content strategy will be post right now with quarantine? Yeah, well, you know, I, I never know how to, when people ask me what brunch was is, I always struggle with the answer. But in general, I say like, it's my food adventures from all over the world. And right now I can't do any of that. So I've obviously had to pivot because uh, most of my, my content was either me going to a restaurant in New York City and, or me traveling and going to find food other places. I can't do either one. So it's been a couple of different things. It's been one, listen, I've been shooting video for six years for Brunch Boys. I can dig out the archives and make new content out of that to talk about the restaurants that are still open, which is a huge part about what I'm doing. But I'm just experimenting. I think it's forcing me to be a little bit more creative. So whether it's me just... I did a video about like, what are the weirdest cereals on Amazon? I think like that's fun. I love that. Um, just been cooking different recipes that either I come up with or I find a recipe. I like, I got to feed myself. So I'm like, I might as well film this. And also doing videos with other people, like a big part of the fun of Instagram was always collaborating. So I've been doing Instagram lives and then recording those videos and able to turn that into proper content also. Um, and putting, you know, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok has been a fun distraction as well. So like in terms of shooting producing, I have not run out of stuff to shoot yet. I will never run out of stuff because I'll just pivot and change and do whatever as long as I'm having fun with it. Like that at the end of the day is what Brunch Boys is all about. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, and then tell me a little bit more about TikTok. You were early on TikTok. How are you having fun with that? And tell me about, you know, any tips that you have for others that are starting out on TikTok. Well, it's funny you say I was early because I could have been really early (laughs) because... Two years ago, they emailed me and they wanted to pay me to post on TikTok. And I said, no. What? You said no? So two years ago, they pitched it to me as, hey, we're a music video app. You can make music videos. Uh, You can do food, obviously, with music videos. I'm like, that's not what I do. You know what I mean? I was like, that's not what I do. Why would I do? Why would I care? Why do I want to do that? Why do I push people to content I don't care about? I wish they would have explained it to me better, pitched it to me better as like, it's not a music video app. It's just a short form viral video app. I, I, they, they didn't do a good job. And I said, no. And, and I'm very careful about who I accept money from. And when I don't know who this thing is, and I was like, this is some... Do you know how many emails I get about yeah. some dumb app every single day? True. Why would I think this won't be any different? Yes, this one wants to pay me a significant amount of money. But still, I was like, you know, I'm at my breaking point producing for Instagram and YouTube. Adding something just for a little bit of money didn't make any sense. But anyway, I was still generally early just because... You know, I saw the power of it. I started producing for it. My tips would be this. One, remember, it's not a dancing app. I know you go on Instagram stories and you see all your friends and they put up their first TikTok and it's them dancing. It is not a dancing app. Unless you are a good dancer and there are great dancers and that's how people blow up on TikTok. Don't dance because one, you're not going to be good at it. And the power of TikTok is that it people like seeing People are experts at something. That's what blows up. So pick something that you're good at and produce that content. If you are a great dancer, okay, dance. If you are great at cooking, cook. If you are great at making food videos, make food videos. If you're great at being a doctor, then give doctor tips. Like this is the stuff I see on TikTok. I don't see people dancing because the algorithm actually is incredible. It, it really does hone in on what you want to see. Agreed. So it's number one, realize that if you're intimidated by it because you think you have to dance or you're excited because, because or whatever about dance, don't dance. You're never going to stand out that way. Anyway, my second tip would be this. You have one minute to produce videos for TikTok. Do not make your videos one minute. Yes, retention is huge on any platform, 
But getting that kind of retention, you have to really work hard at and get your audience into your content first. With only 4,000 followers on TikTok at the moment or about, I've had multiple viral videos reach millions of people, which is the trick to TikTok, the, the nice thing about TikTok. All of those videos are 10 seconds long. Do I like making 10 second videos? No, because I like telling stories and it's very hard to tell a story in 10 seconds. But do I have all these now viral videos gaining me followers? So when I do make longer videos, people watch them and like them? Yes. And that's the goal. So I would say figure out how to tell your story in the shortest amount of time, which is a good lesson for producers and content creators. Anyway, everyone's attention spans smaller and smaller. Getting your story condensed, condensed, condensed uh, is really important. It's, it's interesting too, because like, on YouTube, the algorithm is so set for long-form content. The ads are set up that way. People's expectation is set up that way and the algorithm set up that way. So I have to always produce videos where I'm stretching it out to get over 10 minutes on YouTube. I'm cutting it down to get either one minute or two to five minutes on IGTV. And then I'm cutting it down even more to 30 seconds or less for TikTok and trying to get the whole story told in a whole time, which is a challenge, but it's fun. Yeah, that's a fun challenge. I like it. It's really helpful advice. Thank you. And you also mentioned uh, sponsorships and how um, I saw that you had a YouTube video of you turned down $70,000 of sponsorships in 2019. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So sort of what I was saying earlier is like, I'm, I'm very protective about where I take money from or what that thing is. And I just think at the end of the day, $70,000 isn't worth what those deals would have meant to my brand. And listen, I'm able to do that because I make money. Like if I made $0 and I said no to 70000 it's stupid. I'm in a good position where I'm able to say no to $70,000 as much as it still would have been nice. Like when I work with the brand, it goes through a lot of things before it makes it up to Instagram. And it's, you know, do I care about this brand? Is my audience going to care about this brand? Can I make cool content with this brand? What kind of expectation did I have with it? What kind of things did I want? I like I always say like, it has to be collaboration. It can't be an ad. Like they're not buying an ad for me. An ad is then they would give me something to post, like a magazine. Magazines don't control what the ads are. So a little bit. Generally, no. They get presented the ad and they post it. It's not what I do. I work with these companies to come up with content. So if it can't come up with content, it's gonna work. It's not gonna work. So and then it's money. You know, obviously, like there's never a set price for brands, just because I always say it depends on what they're asking, who's asking. So how has your income been impacted by this situation? I mean, right away, a lot of deals got postponed or canceled, mostly because they were for travel things, opportunities, uh, and hosting events and things like that. That's where a lot of my money is. A lot of it comes from hosting stuff on camera too, and I can't really do that. So a lot of it got wiped out immediately. Some of them came back in different forms, which were less money, so less ideal. So little things are still trickling in here and there. I think it's nice that a lot of stuff that is coming in is a charity component to it, which I really enjoy, or I've pushed them to have a charity component, honestly. Yeah. Um, great. So at least like, listen, I got to make money too. I don't feel bad about making money right now. Some people feel like it might be weird to post ads, but I'm like, I need to make money. Like we all need to be doing everything we can to make money. So I do not give a shit, but it is nice where when I could be making money, I could at least still be doing good. So like I did something like the acre this past weekend and um, we worked together to work for a charity and I told them I wanted to raise money for Roar. Roar is a New York a restaurant organization that is working to push through governmental stuff to help restaurants, but more importantly, to raise money for uh, restaurant workers that don't have money or can't get paid. And, and a lot of them forget about even trying to get unemployment and the struggle that's been. A lot of them aren't eligible because you know they're not documented. So I asked Yeager to work with me on that. And they said yes. And we raised 
uh, Jaeger donated over $10,000 to them, which was amazing. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear it. And so as everything's changing, what do you think the future of influencer, this influencer industry will look like? You know, there's been these weird articles like, oh, is this the end of the influencer? I read that Uh, one. I would say say yes and no. I would say it's not the end of the influencer because to me, the reason why influencer marketing works is because it's dirt cheap compared to all traditional advertising. So now during this time, people are doing everything by influencers. I'm like, you think the power of influencers is lessened? It's like people are literally learning how to cook, working out, learning new skills, learning how to date, learning everything by influencers. It is there and they're on their phone 24 seven watching and engaging with influencers right now. They're going to be, and now once we sort of, once companies have a little bit more budget, are they going to go to a TV show, a magazine that people aren't reading? Are they going to go to the, the Instagram or the influencers that are dirt cheap to begin with and now reach an even bigger audience and mean even more to that audience. On that end, it's going to be more powerful. I think where you're going to see it die is I think there's a huge divide happening right now in terms of who are real influencers and who aren't. And I think the, the people really adding something to what they do and whatever it is, man, if they're teaching something or bringing good into this world, or speaking to food or helping people or anything. If you have any kind of substance at all as an influencer, you're going to succeed. But I think that 50% or more of quote unquote influencers don't have that. I think they're going to go away because those are the people that, what are they going to post? What are they going to do? What are they doing right now? Nothing. Because it's always just been, you know, so like nothing there. There's no substance to it. And I think the substance of what's going to matter to you now, even if like you look at the TikTok influencers, I think like, what I really appreciate about that is like on Instagram, this isn't me like being upset about it. It's just a way of life and it's fine. You could be a great looking guy and you can have a fucking six pack of abs and look stunning. You post a few pictures on Instagram, you're going to get a bunch of likes. And you know what? That person could potentially be an influencer or whatever. You can't do that on TikTok. Yeah. So the TikTok influencer is young, good looking, of course. Are they bringing some sort of value to what they do? Yeah. If you look at those people with millions of followers on TikTok, like the you know the hype house kids or whatever, they're dancing. Are you saying they're dancing? Stupid. I don't care. They're dancing. They have real skill that they're bringing to the table, and that's why people follow them. And I think that's going to translate over everywhere. If, like you can't just have a six pack and be an influencer. That doesn't mean anything. You have to have a six pack and you know be able to speak towards something. And I think that's the divide that's going to happen. Wow, I really like that. That's really helpful. You know, broken down. Thank you. And so how has grocery shopping been like for you? You know, even before this, I would usually do uh, Amazon and just order in Whole Foods just because I don't have time and I don't want to carry stuff. So for the first few weeks, I was able to do that just sort of wake up early enough and get all my deliveries. That has since gone away. I just I just can't find a window to get Whole Foods deliveries. There's a supermarket two blocks away from me that honestly, I go at 7.30 in the morning and I'm the only one in the store. So I'm not concerned about it. I'm not worried about it. Whatever. So yeah, is every, is, did it have 100% of what you'd want? No. Did it have 80% of what you want? Yeah. And then you make two, you know? Agreed. No, I think that I have a local market near me as well that I've been going to. And it, it has a lot more than I think the news kind of makes it seem like. But, you know, only a couple of things missing. And for the most part, I can get a lot of great things. And I'm just so grateful for everyone who's staying open and, and working for us during this time. Yeah, I'll say this. So the people that wait hours to get into Trader Joe's, one, you can never go food shopping to Trader Joe's because they never have what you need. Yeah. But what's good with Trader Joe's is they have 
I mean, their snacks are unbelievable. The stuff that they have is great, but you can never really, like every time I go to Trader Joe's, I'm like, all right, well, I got to go to Whole Foods to get real food anyway. So I don't understand the, like, uh, as a great example, my friend lives in East Village around Trader Joe's and West Side Market, which are like two and a half blocks away from each other. Yeah. The line from Trader Joe's almost wraps around to where West Side Market is. And West Side Market has just as good as food and more options than Trader Joe's and nobody's walking to West Side Market, which is a gigantic supermarket. Like, whatever yeah. people's weird perception of that they have to go to Trader Joe's is kind of wild to me. I understand it's cheap. West Side Market's not that more expensive. And I don't know, to me, like... If you have all the time in the world, go wait online. But for safety reasons too, like I'd rather not wait in line for hours to get into Trader Joe's and just wait two minutes to walk into West Ham Market and get everything. So people like wake up early and go find other places to shop. Bodegas are still open. They have everything. Restaurants, even if you, you go on the apps or a lot of them are delivering stuff as well. Products, produce. There are lots of options to find things. Don't put yourself into a situation where you think that, that you get sick or your safety is at risk and don't wait forever for Trader Joe's. I love you, Trader Joe's, but. Right now, don't worry about it. I completely agree. I love Trader Joe's so much, and I'm grateful for the random things I still have in my freezer that I bought months ago, but I'm not going anywhere near Trader Joe's right now because it's just so crowded, and I'm not going to wait online. I also completely love that uh, the West Side Market, I used to live near one. There's great options there. So just go to your local spot, um, no stress. Um, and so what do you miss most about pre-quarantine? Well, I should probably have a better answer, but honestly, it's the gym. So one of the first thing close was the gym in my building. And the gym I use not only for to stay in physical shape, but honestly, mental health as well. So that was not fun when that closed down. I've been trying to do everything I can to replicate a gym experience. I just can't. And it, it mentally, it's worse than anything. I mean, everything, honestly. But the gym has, has really been the, the one thing that's affected me the most. Yeah, no, that's hard. And so where is the first restaurant or restaurants you're going to when this is all over? Hmm. I want a black seed bagel. Give me that. Sounds good. And then what is your wish for everyone to really learn from all of this? Um, how do you think this experience has changed you and will change New York City? Yeah, I mean, stuff that's going to change me and stuff going to change New York City. I mean, certainly I am cooking and cleaning more than I ever have in my entire life. And those are good skills and things to be doing. So maybe I could continue doing that. The pushing creativity too has been a fun challenge, like I said, for me. And I think like that, you know, to sort of continue down that path doesn't have to be exactly what I'm doing, but to always sort of think differently um, is fun. Uh, I mean, just in terms of the city, I don't know. I mean, for, for me, I wanted to sort of go back. Whereas, I mean, I think taking a little bit of time to really be grateful for what we have is nice. Like, like I said, I live above Domino Park lived here for almost three years. I've never sat at the park. I mean, when I lived there for the first year and a half, it wasn't open. But so far, I've had a year and a half more to sit at Domino Park and just enjoy being outside. And I would have never, I never did that, would have never done that. So I was always too busy. I always had something else to do. But now that I don't have anything else to do, I've been enjoying that time. And maybe that's a good lesson for us. Just like, hey, maybe do that a little bit more. Hey, maybe instead of taking that Uber when you didn't have to be in a rush, take a walk because now I walk everywhere and it's not an issue. So I think there's little lessons we can take out of it. Absolutely. Such good lessons. Thank you so much. And tell us where do we find you and follow you? Sure. It's Brunch Boys on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter. I've been trying Twitter and Snapchat too. That's something I've been trying again to get okay. into. I'm like, well, I got a little bit of extra time. Let me see what I can do. <laughs> um, as you said at the top, I have a historical nerd wrestling based podcast yeah. called Monday Night Run. Tell me more about that. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, you type in brunch boys, that pops up too on, on all podcasting platforms and YouTube as well. Uh, so you say, I used to, when I worked in TV, I worked in sports TV. I sort of touched upon that, but I worked at WWE and I worked in their tape library and locked footage. So I've watched more wrestling than anybody in my entire life on top of the just like wrestling I've watched on TV as a fan. So I was just like, let me, you know, let me, I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to do something not sort of food related just because everything I do is food related. I want something to do once a week that wasn't. So again, I just always ask myself, like, how do I be different? How do, what do I bring to the table? It's not there. So it's like, oh, I have this weird knowledge in my brain of wrestling that, yes, other people have a lot of knowledge of wrestling. They're all nerds. But I specifically have watched more wrestling than almost anybody. So I was like, let me make it historical. And uh, so it's about the Monday Night Wars, which was sort of like the peak battle between WWF, now WWE and WCW. If you're a wrestling fan in the 90s, you know all about it. If you're a wrestling fan now, you know all about it, but certainly in the 90s. So we go back and we re-review. They went head to head. Uh, the two shows. So go back and review and just me and my buddy and we have fun. And I would love to say that if you're not a wrestling fan, you could just get a kick out of listening to me. But for the most part, it is a nerd deep dive into wrestling. So if you're a wrestling fan, you'll enjoy it. If you have wrestling friends, send it to them. Yeah, it's fun. It's just like for the few hours every week, I don't have to focus on Brunch Boys. It's just got to focus on this weird little side project that I have. That's awesome. No, I love that. To diversify it. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a great chat. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more NYC resources like ebooks and videos, visit nyclocalguides.com. Stand clear of the closing doors, please.